Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cotillillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Justice Magic, binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Preston Dennett. Thanks for coming on, Preston. Hey, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Awesome. So (laughs) I was just watching your YouTube channel. On the um, the Atlantean bracelet story, <laughs> do you mind sharing that one with my audience? Because that was fascinating. Yeah, that's a wild story. You know, I've talked to a lot of people who've had contact, and you know, I'd say UFO contact stories do follow a pretty set pattern for mm-hmm. the most part. Each case does have unique elements, for sure. But every now and then you run across a story like, which is just a little bit of an outlier, <laughs> you might say, <laughs> or just off the charts weird. And that's definitely one of them. I don't, I've never heard anything quite like this story. And uh, it's really comes from a gentleman by the name of James Santiago, who I met uh, through a mutual friend at a dinner party. Mm-hmm. And he found out I was a UFO researcher. And he's like, oh, I have a story for you. And boy, did he, (laughs) yeah, he had a story. And I've heard him tell it many times. Uh, It's always amazing to see the look of amazement, (laughs) the the, uh, awe in his eyes when he tells the story. And uh, yeah, I mean, you'll see why once we get into it. Yeah. Um, James, really interesting guy. He's unfortunately passed away. Uh, But his story really began in... 1982, at which time he was a very successful singer and nightclub performer, Mm -hmm. traveling across the U.S. and Canada, uh, performing. Uh, He's really uh, very successful, quite wealthy, and uh, he performed under a pseudonym because he didn't want all the politics of fame, but James is his real name. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was performing in Calgary. In Canada and had done a, like a month-long engagement and was getting ready to go to Vancouver where he had another engagement and he normally flies he hates long car rides right like which I understand I hate him uh, too <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fun every now and then but it gets tired fast so he's you know getting ready to leave and his makeup artist I'll call her Melanie that's not her real name is Says like, oh, no, you know, I want you to meet my mother uh, before you go. She's a really famous artist, world famous. And uh, James is also a very accomplished artist. I've seen his work. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, oh, sure. You know, he sh- uh, his makeup artist, Melanie, showed James some of her mother's work. I'll call her mother Cleo. That's not her real name, but she's super famous, very well known, has paintings and in institutions across the U.S. in museums, I and mean, she's super successful. 
And unfortunately, I can't use her real name. Uh, and you'll see why once <laughs> I get into the story because of... So J James is introduced to uh, Cleo and Melanie warns him. She's like, I just want to let you know my mom's a little bit eccentric. <laughs> and, and weird stuff happens to her. I mean, she's got some wild things going on. And James is like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, he himself is uh, a little... Um, eccentric not right. uh but uh so they're introduced and uh james was yeah <laughs> melanie was not uh exaggerating cleo was very strange <laughs> um, she, she was in her mid-50s slightly heavyset woman and but wore makeup in like dark circles around her eyes had long <laughs> white hair which she tied up in the may west knot was super psychic, very opinionated, a very vehement vegan, and just had a hundred little idiosyncrasies. And uh, James and her just hit it off. They became really good friends right away. And uh, Cleo's like, well, you know, I'm going to Vancouver. Why don't you drive with me? It's a two-day trip, and uh, I think we'll have lots of fun. And James is like, no, there's no way. No, I don't like driving. And Melanie's like, yeah, go. You two should go. You'll have fun. And they worked on him for about a week until James finally said, fine, fine. I'll go with you. And little did he know what he was in for. Hmm. Uh, he didn't realize that they were driving through the Canadian Rockies, for one thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> which are very steep and you know, narrow, winding roads. And it's a long two-way drive to a very remote area. So he agrees to go. And... Cleo owns this blue decked out Monte Carlo uh, with white leather interior and it's this really fancy car, which, you know, she basically lives out of. Cleo's sort of on the run mm -hmm. from, she says, government is following her. Well, here's how it all kind of rolled out. They're about, you know, 20 miles out or so and just started this road trip early in the morning and Cleo says, Turns to James and says, do you have any change? And James is like, well, what do you mean? Yeah, I've got a box of change, you know, in the back. And she says, well, would you mind if we got rid of it? You know, particularly the quarters and the pennies. And James is like, what? <laughs> you know, why? She says, because they've got copper in it and I can't have any copper. She says, I actually had all the copper taken out of this vehicle and replaced with silver. He's like, you're kidding. She says, no, I can't have any copper in the car. He says, why? He says, well, I think you should know I'm being followed by UFOs. And uh, he's like, oh, no. <laughs> this woman is a little crazier than I thought. Oh, he, he had never really given much thought to UFOs. And he's like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. So they pull over the car and James fishes out this box of change and uh, they're in a little small town and he, a kid's walking by so he hands the box of change over to the kid. <laughs> says, here, here's your lucky day. <laughs> um, and uh, off they drive and Cleo explains that she believes the ETs are using the copper to track her. I don't know whether that's true or not, uh, but this is what Cleo says. So James is like, all right, fine, whatever. And she tried to talk about UFOs, but James really wasn't that interested. So they just continued this road trip. 
and she starts talking about all these esoteric subjects like Atlant- Atlantis and you know spirituality and Egyptian culture and all this stuff, ghosts and so forth. And James found it actually really interesting. And they just hit it off and were having a great time. Uh, drove all day into the foothills of the Canadian Rockies, stopped for dinner at a little diner. And this is when the first, well, I should say second weird thing happened. Because <laughs> um, they're eating dinner. And uh, Cleo's got her little vegetarian stuff. And James orders a burger. <laughs> and uh, the people next to them in the table just stared them down. Two kind of normal-looking elderly gentlemen, but were just staring at them the whole time, which James thought was a little peculiar and uh, probably wouldn't have remembered it except for what happened afterwards. That sort of always stuck out that it might be important. Um, He's not sure how it's connected to what happened next, but for what it's worth, uh, he felt that this was important to at least mention. So they finish their dinner and off they go. It's now evening and they reach the heart of the Canadian Rockies and there's towering peaks all around them and gorges dropping down, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet on either side, a narrow winding road. And, and Cleo turns to James and says, do you feel the pressure? And he's like, no, what are you talking about? The pressure? She says, you don't feel it? And James is like, no. And Cleo says, well, you will. We're about to see a UFO. And James is like, oh, no, <laughs> great, you know, now what? And then he feels the pressure. And he described it as almost like moving underwater or like this force pressing mm-hmm. down on you. And this really piqued my interest when he mentioned this, because I have heard this from other people. Uh, this is something that contactees report when a UFO or ETs come into the vicinity. I mean, one lady I interviewed Connie, a lady from work, she had an ET outside her bedroom window. And just as she tried to get up, it slammed her down with this same sort of pressure that they can exert on a person. So I've heard this many times, I guess is the mm-hmm. point I want to make. So J- here's James describing this. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. And he said the pressure was mild at first, just sort of pressing him in, into the seat, sort of like excess gravity almost along his entire body from head to toe and it just kept getting stronger and stronger and he's like oh my god holy you know i feel it i feel it and uh she's like i told you i told you we're about to see a ufo and starts getting really strong to the point where it's a little bit uncomfortable and boom this ufo appears comes swooping down right in front of the car and overhead and it's this giant well, fairly large, turquoise green illuminated disc, perfect saucer. There's no windows, no lights on it. It's just this glowing green turquoise uh, disc and uh, sort of locks onto the car about 40, 50 feet up and starts traveling (laughs) with the car down the highway. And Cleo freaks out. Presses the gas down to the metal, James said, and starts screeching <laughs> around the corners. And he's looking at these little toothpick-sized railings. And he's like, oh, my God. And started to get really you know, afraid of what the way Cleo was driving. Right. At the same time, 
he's like looking at this disc, which was so big. It was, he said, about five to ten times the car. Not super huge, but definitely, you know, the size of a house. And right. illuminating, he says, it was, there's no lights out there, of course. It's just the headlights and the, the green light shining down in a circle around their car. And this pressure. And uh, Cleo is completely silent at this point. <laughs> and James is just staring up at the disc and uh, entranced at how utterly beautiful it is. And this is when he said something else that really just made, made me go, wow. He says, my consciousness raised in a way that I can't even begin to describe to you. I'm like, well, try. <laughs> because I've heard other people tell me this. He says, I suddenly felt more aware than I've ever felt in my entire life. You know, I'm more excited, more conscious. I'm like, mm, do you like, mean like adrenaline? He's like, no, no, no. This, you know, there was adrenaline pumping, but this is a whole new, it was like a mini enlightenment mm -hmm. almost. And I'm like, wow, this is exactly what this guy from Missouri told me when he had a UFO hover over him. He said it was like a veil was lifted from his mind. And he became, his, he was a kid when it happened. His grades improved. You know, he started talking about astro astronomy and physics. And, I mean, it just lifted his intelligence. And James is describing the same darn thing. So I had, I had him describe that in detail. And he says, yeah, it was, Absolutely, like just having the veil lifted off of your mind, you suddenly have a whole new awareness. And he said this went on for a while, at least 10 minutes, which is a, a really long time when you have something like this mm -hmm. going on. So he's on complete sensory overload. He's like, I can't believe this. You know, I'm going in the world. I've never thought about this. This is insane. Uh, there were no other cars on the road at this time that he remembered. And uh, Cleo's not talking. <laughs> and he's just entranced and like, wow, I cannot believe this is happening. And here's where it goes from bizarre to just off the charts, weird. When Cleo says, I want you to open the glove compartment, empty out the contents, and open... You know, there's a little latch at the bottom of the glove compartment. I want you to open it and pull what's in this compartment uh, out. And James looks at her like, what are you talking about? She's like, open the glove compartment, empty it out. And so he does. You know, there's sunglasses, maps, and pens and stuff. And so he's pulling all the stuff out on the floor and feeling around. He's armpit deep inside of it and finally finds this latch, this little secret compartment presses it, it snaps open, hits his finger really hard, he pulls it out, he's like, ow! She's like, go in there, you know, pull out, there's something in that compartment, I want you to pull it out. And so he reaches in and he feels it, it's something heavy wrapped in cloth. And he pulls it out, it's quite heavy, and uh, it's wrapped in this purple, velvety material. And she says, unwrap it and put it between us. And so he unwraps it and holds it up, and it's this enormous gold bracelet uh, oversized I mean just huge very heavy and uh, it is exquisitely filigreed you know carved mm -hmm. and it's got about six seafoam green stones set into it around the whole circumference 
he's holding it up and looking at it because and he's never he's an artist he's never seen anything so beautiful is how he's describing this and and he's like well what is this she says put it between us now and uh, he does and they each kind of put their hands through it it's that big that they can both stick their hands through it and uh she says start rubbing it <laughs> and he's like okay and uh, she says, this will drive the UFOs away. And uh, he says, no, this thing, whatever it was, felt like it did have power radiating off of it, almost like it was a magic object or something, <laughs> a talisman. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, he's on complete sensory overload at this point. I mean, he can't even speak. He's so just awestruck. And they start rubbing this bracelet. And uh, after just a few moments of doing this, this saucer lifts up and darts away. And uh, James is like, wow, you know, that was amazing. That was a flying saucer, wasn't it? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I told you so. I told you I was being followed by UFOs. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, put the bracelet back, wrap it up and put it back. And he says, hold on a second. <laughs> and he holds it up and says, what is this? She says, it's a bracelet. And he's like, well, I can see that, but where did you get it? You know, what kind of a bracelet is this? It's huge. And she says, well, I'll tell you, but you can't, you know, you're, I, you're sworn to secrecy. <laughs> He's like, okay. And she said, I found it. Uh, I was diving off the coast of Spain when I was a young woman. And I heard a voice, a telepathic voice in my head. And it led me to this little cave, this underwater cave. And uh, there it was. And she pulled it out. And uh, she was told it was from Atlantis. Now, Cleo has been in contact with ETs her entire life. She's a contactee. She didn't go into any detail, but she did say that she's being followed by the Canadian government and the U.S. government. And she doesn't have a home, even though she's very wealthy. She pretty much lives out of her James Bond <laughs> Monte Carlo car and uh, stays in hotels for two or three days at a time and moves off to the next location and basically lives as a nomad uh, and lives off the money from her art. So James is like, wow, that's incredible. And uh, he had no choice but to believe her because, I mean, this saucer <laughs> came and he saw it and she predicted it, and told, warned him, the whole deal. So he wraps the bracelet up and puts it back in the secret compartment and closes the club compartment. And uh, they didn't really talk about what had just happened. Because, I mean, what, what can you say? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then James turns to the right and says, Oh, my God, look! There they are. And there's two saucers, presumably. At least one of them is the same one. Mm -hmm. uh, landed on the peak right across from them. You know, there's a giant gorge between them. But this thing is, you know, a couple of thousand feet away, quarter mile tops, and landed right there on this peak. And James is like, look, look. And Cleo just glances at him and says nothing. And James says these were colored discs. One was the same sort of emerald green, I believe, and the other was uh, glowing red. And they had little tripods, you know, kind of landed there. And James wanted her to stop. I and mean, he was like, but he got a feeling of goodwill. Mm -hmm. these discs. Like, these are friendly, whatever these are. 
I'm not afraid of them in the least. I mean, he wanted to go on board. That's what <laughs> he was thinking. And, you know, I suspect maybe they did, honestly. <laughs> because as I'm talking, as I'm talking to James and going over and over this incident, and, uh, there were bits, I mean, he doesn't really remember if there were any other cars on the road or if they passed him and, or what time it was or how much time passed. There was a little bit of confusion about the sequence of events, which is kind of a red flag. Yeah. And I suspect they may have had a missing time encounter, but there was no direct indication of it. Uh, but just given how close it was, given how he felt the pressure, these are sort of more red flags. And when you see a, when something, a UFO has landed next to you, <laughs> that's when you're taken on board. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if parts of this are screen memory or what's going on here. Um, He's sure the bracelet is real because he felt it, he held it, and uh, he's, he obviously cannot say whether or not for sure it's from an Atlantean bracelet. But if you do study Atlantis, there's a number of reports of it have been found off the coast of Spain. Yes, I've heard of that too. So I thought that was interesting. James, of course, had no idea. Um, he's raised a Catholic, but he says it just didn't stick. <laughs> And uh, but had never really thought about these subjects. I mean, he was pretty—he was a young man in his early twenties at, at this time, and although very sort of a, a spiritual guy, had never really thought much about these subjects until later, when he started having all kinds of really mystical experiences. So the story doesn't even end there. <laughs> I mean, this is just a crazy two. They drive through the Canadian Rockies. So they drive along, and Cleo doesn't want to talk about the incident, really, and James doesn't know what to say. They find, you know, they finally exit the Canadian Rockies, or mostly, find a hotel, spend the evening uneventful, and drive into Vancouver. They reach it about evening and are heading up towards the Lionsgate Bridge. Vancouver is very much like San Francisco. They're kind of, you know, twin cities. Mm -hmm. And the Lionsgate Bridge is very much like the Golden Gate Bridge. It's just green instead of gold. And uh, Cleo points up at, at a star <laughs> and says, do you see that star? And James says, yeah, yeah, I see it. She says, that's not a star. That's a UFO and it's been following us. And James is like, all right, Cleo, you know, we saw a UFO. I get it, they're real, but that's a star. And she says, no, it's not. You'll see, it's following us. I told you I'm being followed. He was like, yeah, or James was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, that's a star. She says, no, keep your eye on it. You'll see. And so James is keeping his eye on it. And as they're just approaching the Lionsgate Bridge, this object drops down, darts around, and zips off. <laughs> and James is like, oh, my God. You know, I'm so sorry. I'm such a moron. I should have listened to you. <laughs> this is new to me. Uh, not even the world knows about this. Because this is, you know, back before communion and right. missing time and all, all the books that really popularized the subject. And so he's apologizing. He says, you know, I'm really sorry. I didn't know. He says, I told you, I told you I'm being followed by UFOs. And uh, he, the story doesn't even end here. <laughs> he ended up doing his, uh, and his whole time with Cleo is just crazy. So that he goes to Vancouver, he gets a hotel and does his show for a, good month. He gets standing ovations every night. He's 
you know, very successful. And Melanie, his makeup artist, flies in from Calgary and gets a hotel room below his. And it's about, you know, he's staying, he just decides he's going to stay in Vancouver a little while longer because he's got friends there. And he, he's going to have, go have dinner with them. And uh, that evening, he goes out onto his balcony like he does every evening to, after a shower and blow drying his hair, he's overlooking Stanley Park, you know, this little park off of Vancouver Bay. And uh, he's, it's overcast, and he's just enjoying the evening when suddenly he's looking up <laughs> and he sees these colored lights. You know, and it's beautiful. They're green and pink and pearl, pearlescent, is how he described it. And he's not thinking UFOs. He's like, huh. You know, are there searchlights? There's no beams coming up from the ground. So he's trying to figure out what he's looking at. When whoosh, two discs swoop down real close to him. This is a very populated area, by the way. I mean, these are buildings, you know, skyscrapers all along the coastline here. It's got to be a million people. Uh, and He's like, whoa, <laughs> looking at these two discs, which immediately go whooshing towards Stanley Park. And uh, oh, I should mention that Cleo is also staying in the hotel. And uh, these objects go racing towards Stanley Park and disappear in the trees below the tree line. And so he immediately runs inside his hotel room and calls Melanie. And he says, you're not going to believe what I just saw. And Melanie's like, I believe you because I just saw it too. She was also out on her balcony. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh my God, you saw it? Wow. She's like, yeah. He's like, well, go get Cleo. And uh, let's figure out what's going on. And you know, Cleo is nowhere to be found. So Melanie comes up and they go out on the balcony and they're reliving this whole incident. And just talking about it. And it's just you know, 15 minutes later when these saucers appear again. And they're coming out of Stanley Park at treetop level, come towards him and whoosh up into the cloud layer and they're gone. And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> so here's, you know, James has had like, what, five, six sightings in a, basically one after another. And they're like, where's Cleo? And Noah's like, I don't know, she's missing. And uh, suddenly Cleo comes running into the hotel room. She's like, they're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> Her hair is all disheveled. And they're like, what? Where were you? She says, I was out in Stanley Park. You know, I was setting up my easel. I was going to do a painting. And these darn UFOs came and hovered right over me and tried to get me again. They're always trying to take me. <laughs> and uh, so uh, they decided, well, they're going to go to dinner. Uh, but James's friend that he uh, shows up and he's like, I can't. I can't go. I've got a terrible abscessed tooth. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm going to have to go to the dentist. It's an emergency. And Cleo's like, well, here, why don't I see what I can do? And so she takes James's friend into the back room. She says, I need complete privacy. She closes the door. And James looks at Melanie. I'm, she's like, I told you. I told you my mom's weird. <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> and uh, she wanted to see what she was going to do. But she's like, no, I'm not going to let you in. So they're sitting there in the living room waiting when this eerie blue light shines out from beneath the door frame, you know, the crack beneath the door. Mm -hmm. And this is not, you know, the light in the room because it's all, it's this weird blue color. And James is like, wow, oh, what's that? That is weird. And 
a few moments later, you know, the light winks out, Cleo comes out. <laughs> oh, she's like, oh, he'll be fine. He's sleeping. And Jim's like, sleeping? It's seven o'clock. <gasps> His friend would never go to sleep at that time. <laughs> uh, but Cleo's like, don't worry. He'll be fine. He'll be up in a bit. And he was. He woke up and he's all refreshed. He's like, let's go out to eat. <gasps> and Jim's like, well, what about your tooth? He's like, it's fine. It's cured. It's gone. My abscess is gone. And he, they went out to eat, and he ordered a steak. <laughs> so Cleo cured him. This woman is amazing. I wish I could have interviewed her. Yeah. And I wish I could tell you who she is, because I did. I looked her up. She is a real person. I saw her art. It's amazing. And uh, that was the last James ever saw of Cleo. Uh, but I started questioning James further, because I'm like, this is a lot to happen to one person. And this is a close-up UFO encounter. I'm like, James, you know, <laughs> let me ask you something. <laughs> you know, have you ever had any other strange experiences? He's like, well, yeah, I saw the ghost of my mother when I was a kid. She died when he was poor, poor guy. I think he was like 11 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, but his mother came in his full-color apparition and appeared to him. He said, you don't need to worry. <laughs> you know, I'm fine. So James never had a fear of you know, death after that. And he did have other ghost encounters and dreams that come true and a lot of kind of psychic stuff. And I'm like, okay, you know, have you ever had any weird experiences as a little kid? Some kind of fishing, you know, if a, his contactees. And so he just, I suspected he was a contactee. Mm -hmm. Because when a UFO gets that close to a person, that is a red flag. And maybe it was just Cleo who was the contactee and he was along for the ride, but... I don't know. I just wanted to figure it out. And he's like, well, yeah, actually I have. <laughs> you know, I had, used to have this little toy phone when I was just a toddler, a Fisher-Price toy phone, and it would beep by itself. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's kind of cool, but not really anything that I would you know, say definitively points towards being a contactee. So I'm like, anything else? He's like, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm like, well, have you ever seen any strange figures? You know, weird people, you know, figures entering in your bedroom. And his eyes kind of he got a little startled. I was interviewing him face to face because he was here in LA. He eventually became a good friend so I could go over and over and over these stories. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, it wasn't in my bedroom, but I was around, I think he was 11 or 12. And he was staying at his uncle's ranch in Oregon, which is like a 30 acre ranch. I think it was 300 acre, it was huge. And out there in the wilderness, forested. And he was told, whatever you do, don't go out in the forest. There's wild animals out there. You could get lost. And, uh, of course, that's the first thing he wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> you never tell a kid, don't do this, because, of course, that they're going to go do it. Yeah. And <laughs> so James is out there one day, you know, a, couple, a mile away from the ranch. And uh, just in this little sort of clearing he found in the forest which was really pretty it had all these ferns and the sunshine would come down through this clearing it was just a really pretty little glen it had a, a log to sit on and he's just sitting there poking around with the stick when he got the feeling someone was looking at it and so he looks up and there are two men is what he said uh looking at him and they were weird looking and he quickly looked down 
because he was like, oh, shoot, I've been, I'm busted. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be out here, and I've been caught. That was his first thought. And then he thought to himself, wait a second, those did not look like people. These guys had weird eyes, their heads, they were bald. <laughs> their skin was like chalk white. They were super thin. And so he, he didn't see their whole bodies because they were kind of obscured by the ferns mm-hmm. but from what he could see. So he quickly looks back up again, and they're gone. They are nowhere. And he's like, oh, my God, you know, what just happened? And I had him go over, and, yeah, it's pretty clear. He didn't want to call them aliens, because to him they were just people. But they were not people. <laughs> not humans, I should say. Because uh, they, uh, they were your typical greys. After I you know, went over it with him, uh, he was giving the description of typical greys. And uh, James still, at this point, hadn't really done any research into UFOs. I'm like, James, <laughs> are you connecting the dots here? I'm like, have you ever woken up and had any strange scars or marks on your body? He's like, oh, my God, yeah. And he lifts up his sleeve and says, what do you think this is? <laughs> you know, this just appeared a couple of days ago. And this happens all the time to me. He shows me this little triangular bruise. James, <laughs> what do you think it is? He's like, I have no idea. You tell me. I'm like, well, you know, he's like, does this, does this mean I'm a contactee? I'm like, well, I, I can't say for sure, but this is one of the things I ask. This is a clue. Has this happened before? He's like, yes, this happens periodically. And I keep waking up with these bruises and these marks, and they go away pretty quickly. So, you know, I don't go to the doctor or anything, but I've always wondered about it. Well, this is a sign that you may be a contactee. And I have to tell you, James, you're fitting the profile. Let me ask you one more thing. <laughs> have you ever seen a UFO or had missing time? And he's thinking, he's like, well, yes. I'm like, you have? Because I thought, you know, the way he was talking, I thought the sighting with Cleo was really his first sighting. He's like, well, no, actually it's not. I didn't really think of these as UFOs, but I guess they were because they were unexplained lights and we did have missing time, but I didn't even really realize it until I started talking to you. I'm like, okay, (laughs) what happened? And this was not long uh, before this whole incident with Cleo, where he was with three friends in San Francisco and they decided to go boating on the San Francisco Delta and uh, we're just having a good time, you know? Rented a boat and boating around. It was late at night, uh, moon, moonless night. It was just stars, really dark night. No one else is out there. They have dinner and they're just enjoying themselves in, in this really remote area on the San Francisco Delta and uh, looking at the stars. And suddenly one of them cries out like, what's that? And this beautiful, this, uh, I believe it was a red light. Yeah, this kind of sparkly red-white light drops out of the sky, big, and kind of phosphorescent. Not normal, right? Not you're like a shooting star. And it drops down right over their boat and disappears in kind of this explosion of light. And they all go, oh, ah, wow. And uh, seconds later, down comes this sparkly green, emerald green light, kind of the same color as that other disc. And does the same thing. 
This is not a shooting star. This is not a satellite, plane, helicopter, balloon, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> this is unusual. Because you know, I'm like, are you sure, James? You know, could this have been a shooting star? He's like, no, it did not act like a shooting star at all. Um, this was big. And it came right low over their boat. And I'm like, well, what happened next? And this is, he said, well, this is weird. I don't remember. Next thing we all know, we're waking up. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we're waking up and we are, you know, we had been sitting next to each other. He says, well, I wake up and I'm lying across my friend's lap. <laughs> my other friend is kind of laying across my legs. We're all just kind of falling together in a heap, lying there on the deck. I'm like, how long were you asleep? He says, I don't know. I have no idea. We didn't even really think about it. We didn't know what time it was. Could have been an hour. Could have been 10 minutes. I don't know. I'm like, well, what did you do next? He says, we didn't do anything. We just got up and said, wow, we must have fallen asleep. That's weird. And went into the little cabins and went to bed for the night and never talked about it. He's like, I'm like, you never talked about it? Really? He says, yeah. You know, why? Is that normal? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this is exactly what happens. You know, people have a tendency to forget. He says, I kind of forgot about it. We just didn't talk about it. And I never even thought about it for years. Mm, well, there you go. James, I think you're a contactee. Have you ever had any dreams about UFOs? Again, his eyes get real wide. <laughs> He's like, oh my God, yeah. I dream about UFOs constantly and have since I was a little kid. I'm like, really? What, what dreams? Tell me your dreams. He says, it's always the same. It's always the same variation on the theme. Slight differences. But in every darn dream, there's a UFO hovering overhead. Sometimes it lands. And I'm super excited, and everyone around him is panicking. And he's like, it's fine, it's fine. They're here to take us. Don't be afraid. They're here to, you know, to take us away. And uh, it's okay. And he starts leading people on board. <laughs> and uh, then he goes on board, and off the UFO flies. I'm like, oh, wow. Because this is, I'm like, oh, my God, how many times have I heard this from other people? A dozen, at least. This is a very common theme among contactees, this same exact scenario. I'm like, James, can you tell me a specific dream? Because I love specifics, you know, tell, tell me a dream that you, he's like, well, the one that really stands out uh, was the same dream, but uh, I was at a carnival <laughs> and there was the, what it's called, the spin out or the tilt-a-whirl. It's this sort of disc that's, mm -hmm. you know, every, everyone, I don't know if you've ever been on this ride, I went on it once and that was enough. <laughs> Because you all get on and you kind of stand around the perimeter, mm -hmm. little sort of cage there. Yeah, the, the bottom drops out, you stick to the wall. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I went on that. And, ugh, it's like the, the vomit ride. No, I don't want to go on that ever again. Uh, but this is what was happening in his dream. <laughs> and uh, so he's getting everyone on board and he gets on board and this thing starts whirling and then it turns into a flying saucer, lifts up off the ground and shoots off and all the little pod, you know, cages are in turn into these little pods, little compartments for each person. And uh, it was a UFO. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, James, yeah, I think you're a contactee. And then he went into all these super mystical experiences, which he says, I don't really want you to write about this stuff because it was very personal to him. Mm -hmm. And just all about enlightenment and just really mystical, mystical stuff that was 
um, amazing. I wish he would have let me. Uh, but uh, yeah, a real amazing contactee story. Hmm. Yeah, There's so many different aspects to this story. That are, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a fascinating story. Like, like, I mean, obviously, the first fascinating thing is just bracelet. You know. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you know, sometimes like the, the possible connection between Atlantis and aliens. Exactly. Yeah. Cleo said that a lot of the people who are alive today were from Atlantis and are now coming back to correct the mistakes they made that led to the downfall of Atlantis. Uh, and that they were, in Atlant the people of Atlantis were in contact with the aliens. There was open official contact and a lot of technology was traded freely and it turned out to be a mistake on the ET's part uh, because the humans abused the technology and it led to Atlantis's downfall. And so that's kind of why they're trying to do it a little bit differently this time. And uh, yeah, the whole bracelet thing is so bizarre. Cause I'm like, you know, did she explain? You know, copper really? You know. And so is she still alive? No, she passed away about ten years ago. Is the makeup artist still alive? Yes. Yes. Does she have yeah. the bracelet now? Uh, you know, I wanted to reach out to her, and but uh, I don't even know if she actually knows the whole story and all of Cleo's background, and, but it's a quite a large extended family, so I really have to protect their privacy. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I hope that bracelet is in a safe place. I hope it, you know, I'd love to see it in a museum, uh, to know that, and it's just to think that this thing might actually be from Atlantis. And James is like, this thing is huge. You know, a woman could not have worn this. Even a man, it must have been made for a giant. And that, like, ooh, giants, you know, giants on yeah. Earth. <laughs> giants in Atlantis times. Hmm. You know, there's some speculation that yeah. some of the inhabitants of Atlantis were, in fact, larger than us. And it was weird because I have heard sort of similar tie-ins in other contactee stories. I remember Dolores Cannon had a story where a lady was led to buy a, a bracelet that apparently did have special properties. Um, and I've heard that, you know, of necklaces and uh, rings and other things like this. I, you know, I didn't magic. I don't want to use the term magic, but uh, apparently some of this stuff does have power to it. I'm like, you, I asked James about that. I'm like, did you think this thing had any power to it? He's like, you could feel the power radiating off this thing. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. This thing was not your average bracelet. So I don't know. I mean, ETs do have technology that is beyond our own abilities to understand. And just because something is a work of art doesn't mean it doesn't have utility. You know, you, technology within it that does things that we don't understand. So well, that is the origin of jewelry was actually for healing, not for, for decoration. Yeah, yeah, and if you look into the whole power of, you know, crystals mm -hmm. and stones, and it, that's another thing that I find fascinating because I can't tell you how many contactees I've interviewed who are like crystal huggers, <laughs> you know what I mean? Shoot, I've got giant crystals right here behind me. <laughs> Honestly, I do. See? Yeah. I love them. <laughs> it's really cool. I've got, for some reason, I'm all into crystals. And contactees, as a general rule, are. 
And uh, ETs will talk about that, not all the use of crystals. Um, yeah, I knew a contactee up in Topanga Canyon. ETs told her, oh, yeah, we have all kinds of uses for crystals. And uh, they have all sorts of abilities you guys have only begun to understand. Hmm. And we have. We have begun to understand it, how they can be used for data storage. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, people use them for psychic healing. And, and uh, yeah, like you said, rings of power. <laughs> That's sort of the standard trope in all of fantasy fiction. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always an element of truth in all of this stuff. So that, yeah, that's the weirdest aspect to <laughs> James's case. And I sure do wonder about it. And I would love to see that thing. Hmm. I hope it's safe. I, won I wonder if that's what she was using when she healed the tooth. Yeah, I, it's entirely possible. Um, I don't know. It's a heavy thing to carry around, but I'm sure she had a purse. Why not? <laughs> and yeah. uh, the contactees do healing. And, you know, that's very, very common among contactees. Yeah. And uh, among people who are in spiritu spiritually enlightened to any degree. Mm -hmm. You know, that case of Cleo's healing of the abscess tooth reminds me of a Native American healing by Stalking Wolf, who was the guy who, an Apache scout who taught Tom Brown, who's written a series of best-selling wilderness survival books. I have all of them. Tom Brown has started the world's, or at least in the U.S., the largest wilderness training school. And a very spiritual guy. You know, Stalking Wolf was this amazing, enlightened Native American and uh, who would do healings. And uh, Tom Brown got to stand in on one and said that this amazing blue light came right out of Stalking Wolf's hands and healed this lady of terminal cancer. She was expected to die on her deathbed, expected to die like that day, and lived. The cancer was removed by pure psychic healing from light coming from his hands. And having to written a book on UFO healings. Uh, I've got about 10% of the cases are not done using technology. They are done coming with light coming out of the ET's hands. No kidding. <laughs> so there's weird spiritual aspects to all of this that I think are really important. Um, I do a lot too. Of yeah, a lot of researchers, and it's quite disappointing. I get it. Because mm -hmm. this is a new field, and a, a lot of the early researchers in particular would sort of overlook the spiritual aspects. Yeah. Um, I know Bud Hopkins, for a fact, did this because I talked to some people who were hypnotized by him and uh, had their encounters written up, and Bud Hopkins sort of edited out some of the spiritual aspects of it, and they were disappointed. And I actually really like Bud Hopkins' work. I don't want to. Um, denigrated at all because I think it's very objective and if you read it it's not fear based mm -hmm. and, it, and it's like amazing when you go through his stuff and, and his material and like wow because <laughs> he does write about some of the spiritual aspects yeah. but never did write a single thing about healing and I cornered him about that one day I'm like bud <laughs> I was at a conference in 1994 the triad conference mm -hmm. this bothered me because you know every major researcher at, that I had found had healing cases i'm like i'd like to ask a question you know i got in line with the other people 
I'm like, can I ask you, do you have healing cases? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure do. In fact, I'm very much encouraged by him. I'm also a little baffled because I've talked to many contactees who've had healings, but there are many other contactees who have you know, medical conditions that are not being healed. So I'm a little puzzled by it, but I'm also very encouraged because this shows a positive aspect to ETs. And I have to tell you, I'm very optimistic about the outcome of UFO contact because the ETs seem to be interested, mostly interested, in the loveliest aspects of being human. This is you know, pretty much a direct quote from what he said. They're interested in our emotions. You know, they're interested in our ability to love, to feel. This is the things that they seem to be most interested in and in elevating our own spirituality. So uh, that was really cool to hear him say that. And uh, I'm glad to see, you know, I understand that you know, there's a nuts and bolts aspect to UFO research and researchers want to prove this without bringing up Atlantis and healings and telepathy and levitation and all kinds of subjects that can turn off someone who's analytically minded. Say, what? <laughs> you know, it's hard enough to believe in UFOs and you want to add Bigfoot? <laughs> well, you know, I've thought some sh you know shows that that I mean I, I've like this comes up a lot when I talk to like Michael Carter about the healing, and it also comes up sometimes when I talk to uh, Kathleen Martin also. So I I think this is becoming a more know, less taboo topic now in the UFO field. Yeah, more people totally are agree. talking about it. Yeah, Ray Hernandez. I think this is becoming almost the central focus. Yeah. Because uh, it is all about consciousness. It is really all about awareness. It is about elevating our own abilities. There's one of my favorite books on UFOs is called Rachel's Eyes by Helen Littrell. And it's a really cool story uh, about her daughter who was legally blind and had a roommate in college who turned out allegedly to be a hybrid ET was placed there, had been recovered from a crashed UFO, I believe this, as the story goes, and was being raised by this colonel whose job it was to deal with UFO crash retrievals and sort of diplomatic relations with the ETs. And uh, Helen Littrell met with this guy. And uh, I talked to Helen about this. I'm like, this colonel is real? You know, everything in your book is fact on? And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's all as real as you know, I can tell this story. And she got to meet the roommate once and definitely was very unusual looking with very large eyes. And Helen's daughter, Marissa, being legally blind, never really could see her that well. But a lot of weird aspects to the story. But the point I wanted to make was the colonel uh, was chosen not only because he had no family um, connections, you know, he was chosen to sort of work with the secret government, but because he was had developed his psychic ability to communicate telepathically and proved it to uh, Helen. Uh, he had tremendous psychic ability. And uh, this is something we see with contactees. I had it, you know, I ended up becoming good friends with James and we had little telepathic incidents mm -hmm. happen every now and then. I didn't know he was a singer. <laughs> and I'm like, I bet you would be a good singer. He's like looking at me like, what? Why would you say that? Because uh, he just told me he was a performer. And uh, 
didn't tell me what songs he sung. I thought I, I said, I'd love to hear you sing Over the Rainbow. <laughs> He's like, that's the song. That's the song I sing. Like, really? <laughs> like, How did you know? And just little, in- he was super psychic. It's really fun to be around him. Hmm. He would like say stuff. You're like, whoa. <laughs> you know, I um, recently read also an article. I think maybe, I don't know if you posted it or somebody else about um, experiencers um, brains being different than normal people or regular people, that there's a certain part of the brain that is more active. Have you have you read about that lately? Yeah, yeah that's something that's being posted across social media. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. And I, I wonder about it. Uh, I, I hesitate to say like, oh, you know, pe- people are, which comes first, you know, the contact or the, the brain. <laughs> Uh, changes. I suspect that people who reach a certain level of awareness, it sort of opens up new pathways in their brain, and and this can become measurable through scientific instrumentation. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty interesting thing. Because hmm. now, gosh, they can just give you an MRI, like, you yep, contact me! <laughs> so weird. And it was interesting to me that James, you now going back to his story, did not even realize he was a contactee and just kind of explained it away like, oh, these scars, the missing time, you know, the weird figures that he'd seen as a kid. Just kind of compartmentalized all these experiences and didn't think about them and just put them on the back burner. And, and this is what happens. This is exactly what happened to Whitley Strieber. It takes a major incident, a real close-up encounter to wake people up and then they get that whole level of awareness, that new, you know, the veil is lifted. And maybe there is something physiologically going on here. Uh, because what we do see is, and Whitley Strieber had this happen to him, and James, and many, pretty much all contactees have this. They will affect electromagnetic instruments. Computers crash, <laughs> light bulbs go off. Uh, TVs and radios will become staticky. Um, they have a bioelectric field that is measurable. And this is how I think they are able to do healings. Because the human body is one of the frontiers of mysteries. You know, we've got outer space and, you know, there's just certain areas where there's a lot, lots of unknowns and lots of questions. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we came from. We don't know the limits of our own abilities. And we are like superhuman dynamos. The fact is, there are a bunch of contactees who have physically levitated following their experiences. And I just found that out recently, <laughs> even after I'd written a book on levitation. Because um, I remember Whitley Strieber talked about levitating and then rereading Stephen Greer's book. I was mm-hmm. shocked. I'm like, how had I skipped over this? He had two episodes of levitation. Bud Hopkins had interviewed three or four witnesses who claimed to have levitated following their experiences. And Bud Hopkins in his books is like thinking, I think they were probably being pulled up at this time and just thought, you know, they were had levitated on their own. I'm like, no, I don't think so, Bud. <laughs> I think what happened is they had this physiological change happen to them. They had something some effect from contact, which allowed them to access more of their brain, more of their super 
don't like that term superhuman abilities, but yeah. Hmm. Uh, right now in contact with a contactee in Florida. And uh, she's soup. She's going to be the subject of my next book, Dolly. She's amazing. And I finally asked her, I'm like, have you ever levitated? She's like, yeah. <laughs> she's always reluctant to tell me because she's like, people don't believe me when I tell them this stuff. I'm like, no, give me, give me a chance. You know, I know of other people who've had this experience. And she's like, yeah, I have levitated three or four times. And did she do it? Did she do it on purpose? Like, is she able to do it at will? Uh, probably she could if she really concentrated on it. That's, of course, the first thing that I asked her. But uh, how it happened was sort of accidental and sort of at will. First time she was just a toddler, and uh, they had a closet which with a shelf on top, and she wanted to get up there and hide. You know, she was quite a precocious child. <laughs> You know, talking at, uh, at one years old and just freaking everyone out with how precocious she was. And uh, I think she was like two or three years old when this happened. And uh, she would just stare at that closet. And she's like, I want to get up there. I want to get up there and hide. And uh, she was just staring at it for like an hour one time, just kind of thinking, how can I get up there? How can I get up there? And just whoosh, flew up there. And just giggled with glee <laughs> and uh, kind of reached out and closed the door behind her and waited for her family to find her. And she was constantly disappearing from the house because she was being taken at this time. They'd find her locked outside of the house or miles away at one, one time they found her over a mile away. Uh, so they were, she was causing all kinds of problems in the household. Her parents <laughs> were freaking out. Like, where is Dolly now? <sighs> How did she get out? You know, they were buying locks on the doors, triple locking them. Uh, she couldn't reach the doorknobs. And how was she getting outside? And uh, they bought guard dogs. Nothing was working. And Dolly's disappeared again. And her mother's frantic, running through the house. And finally hears Dolly giggling, <laughs> opens the closet, and she's there. Dolly's like, ah! <laughs> Mom was not happy. <laughs> Mom was furious. But yeah, she did that twice. Another time she was trying to climb a tree and the branch was too far away. And she, so she just kind of flew up to it hmm. uh, and had a few ins and One time she tripped down the stairs accidentally. She was painting, had paint cans in both hands and just flew down. <laughs> Uh, over the landing and all the way to the bottom of the stairs and landed, screaming the whole way down. She was like 19 years old. And her dad came running in and looked at her at the bottom of the stairs. He's like, what happened? She says, I nearly fell. Uh, she had tripped, you know, crossed one foot over the other and flew down the stairs. I'm like, are you sure you didn't just jump? Or like, no, I, you know, she, she kind of <laughs> like really wanted me to understand that this, she levitated. Mm -hmm. I absolutely believe her because this is something that I've heard many times. Uh, and particularly, it's very strange, on stairwells. I can tell you, this happened to Robert Monroe. You know who Robert Monroe is, the yeah, body yeah. guy? Yeah, Monroe uh, Institute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, t he levitated twice. This is very much connected to out-of-body experiences, uh, levitation. Because you, when you're out-of-body, you fly n normally. And if you do a lot of out-of-body travel sort of brings the power of that ability to your physical body. 
and Robert Monroe had stepped on his shoelace at the top of the stairs and floated down, light as a feather. He was sure he was going to crack his head open. And it was just a few months later, he slipped on the same stairs, which had become icy. <laughs> this is outside on his deck. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> and it's hurtling towards the ground and just stops and floats down. Whoosh, dum, dum, dum. Lands softly. And uh, I know of a number of cases of this, this has happened to out-of-body travelers. I'm like, shoot, you know, I've done out-of-body stuff. Right. I haven't levitated. Yeah, and I I'm, haven't either. <laughs> so I'm still waiting, but I have to tell you, I, sh I wish I'd known about this earlier because there's been a few times where I've come back from out-of-body stuff, and I am, my body is zinging with energy. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm skipping, and I'm walking on air. You know, that feeling of like just... Wow, I am energized to the point where I have to, I, I have to go running. <laughs> you know, I am just got way too much energy. If I had just sat down and thought, I probably could have. Well, I don't know. I, sh I wish I had tried to like levitate. <laughs> that would be so amazing. To it's do. not too late yet. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I've talked to a number of people who have done it firsthand. I've talked to them. One lady, she was in Colorado and a regular meditator. And I'm, like, I'm talking to him, have you ever had any paranormal experiences? I'm such a pest. Whenever I meet someone, I'm like, have, you know, tell me, you know, anything weird ever happened to you? It's like, well, I was meditating once. I was, you know, in the lotus position, just meditating. And I love meditating. I do it regularly. And uh, she finished, opened her eyes, and plunk, fell about four inches to the ground. I'm like, Whoa, really? So, yeah, I was levitating. I didn't even know it. It's that so funny that we were just talking about somebody named Dolly, right? You were talking about a story about Dolly. Somebody on Facebook named Dolly just fr friended me, and she's friends with you. Oh, well, that's probably her. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are the chances <laughs> while we <Yeah>. were talking? <laughs> I, uh, well, I told her I was coming on <laughs> to your show. You know, you're awesome. You're one of my favorite people to, huh. to show with. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's stepping out a little bit out of the shadows. because hmm. uh, She hasn't really gone public yet with her experiences. She's been on a couple of shows. Uh, but I'm hoping that, you know, once the book comes out, we can really do a whole tour. <laughs> and that That's awesome. Yeah. She's it's just so crazy the coincidences sometimes in timing. Yeah, I love Dolly. Um, she is so amazing. <laughs> she, she's changing. My, I'm learning a lot from her. I've talked to a lot of people who've had experiences. And uh, I have to tell you, the vast majority of people I talk to have issues with memory. Mm -hmm. It's the only way I can put it. They're not what I would call a fully conscious contactee. Um, mm. There was one lady I interviewed um, who no longer wants her name to be used. So I won't say her name, but initially she was like, yeah, you can use my name, but she's since sort of pulled back from the scene. But her experiences have always been fully conscious. She remembers seeing praying mantises when she was a little girl. She once had an experience where she was driving along the LA freeway here, the 101 freeway, and whoosh, the saucer comes down. She's driving with her friend. They're pulled up on board, and um, she was physically examined. She says it wasn't really fun for her. Uh, Scott does have quite a bit of fear involved with this, which mm -hmm. is another problem. But she remembers. 
and uh, didn't have to go under hypnosis. She was involved in the Coronado Island UFO incident in 1994, which a bunch of people were taken on board a craft. She fully consciously remembered these greys coming into her hotel room and taking her friend right up through the ceiling. And so she's an example of you know, what I would call a conscious contactee. Hmm. And then, of course, there's Jim Sparks, who is also faded away from the UFO scene, but wrote a book called The Keepers. And he remembers his stuff largely, fully consciously, though has also had missing time. And I will say Dolly has had missing time, too, and doesn't always remember every single thing that happens. But since age 14, has been a conscious contactee. And to hear her tell her story um, is amazing. I've done, you know, we've had probably a, a hundred hours of conversations. Wow. That, that's no exaggeration. I mean, we talk daily. Hmm. And uh, I've done, I don't know, 10, 20 hours of interviews with her that are recorded. And I'm going to have to do more because <laughs> I'm about, about halfway through the book writing it. And I'm like, oh, I need to ask more on this, more on that. And even if, you know, if this book is 200, 300 pages, it's probably going to be like closer to 300. It's only going to be able to tell about 5% of her story. Wow. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to write a sequel because... And she's kind of very cautious about telling everything because it's a lot to swallow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, she's kept very quiet because it's very hard for people to understand and believe uh, when you, she starts talking about how the, all the things she's experienced. She's like, you know, I pilot the craft. I'm like, I totally believe that. Yeah, I've heard that before too. Yeah, because I've talked to, you know, what's his name? Uh, J J Ray, oh, I can't think of his name. Jay Gardner? Um, I think that's right. Not Jay, it's something. Joe, Joe Gardner. He's also in my book, On Board UFO Encounters. And he's like, yeah, they put him in the seat, taught him how to fly the craft. He got to fly it. And it was really cool. He says he flew it right into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it didn't crash or anything because they've got this force field on mm -hmm. that can actually interpenetrate solid materials. But he was just a little kid. He's like 9 or 12 years old when they let him fly the craft. And that's how old uh, Dolly was when they began, you know, Asking her, what, what, what does she want to do? She's actually 14. You know, they're like, what do you want to do? Because she's fully conscious from age 14 onward. And has you know, another guy interviewed in England. Um, they, he started remembering everything. It could not erase his memories. And he remembers being taken on board. And there's a gray sitting across from him at this table like, so what do you want to do with your life? <laughs> this is what they do. This is what contact is all about. It's not the scary physical examination and horrific experimentation that is being put forth by the media and, for that matter, many researchers. That is just the beginning. They physically examine you. They're checking you up. They want to make sure you're okay. Then they'll give you the de debriefing, like, how are you doing? What's up? How's life going? How can we help? What are your interests? Are you you know, making good decisions, stop eating, you know, fatty foods, <laughs> you know, this, you know, we've got some advice for you. What do you want to learn? And uh, this is the pattern of contact. And then they'll take you around the ship. And, and so Dolly's had a lifetime of this. And uh, 
I cannot wait to really get into this once the book is out. Uh, but I'm giving you a little teasers here. <laughs> because I, I think it's important people know this, that we are being visited. The greys are not our enemies. They are not demonic. They are not trying to hurt people. They're not trying to scare people. Uh, they're not here to take over. They're certainly not eating people. No. <laughs> they are our teachers. They are our brothers and sisters. They are, are related to us in some way. Uh, and some of us, many of us, probably had incarnations as extraterrestrials. Identity is not what people think it is. You know, people don't realize, like, oh, you know, I'm here on Earth, I'm, I'm born, and then I die, and that's it. <laughs> no, no, you were existing long before you came to Earth, and you will exist long after. And this is a, your identity is a set of clothes that you wear. It's a matrix of belief systems. It's a lesson you're coming to learn. It's sort of a little play that you're going to put on for yourself, a little sort of drama for you to learn certain lessons. Some people come to learn, you know, sports and physicality and be a, you know, a sports star. Some come to learn music and just excel at that. Pretty much everyone comes to teach at, on some level. Um, this is what people have, you know, Brian Weiss, in his book, Life Before Life, mm -hmm. um, talks all about this. This is absolutely the theme that comes up with anyone who's been hypnotized to recover past lives or simultaneous lives perhaps would be the better term but it's all about teaching and learning that's why we're here and we are much more expansive beings than we realize and we are absolutely related to ets we are all one we are all part of the source the one mind uh the universe we are an inextricable part of this universe, but we are all entities. It's really cool. It's a wonderful gift to be an autonomous entity that gets to grow and be a, and evolve. It's weird being human, that's for sure. You know, you know. One of the things that you mentioned earlier too is about the superpowers, or <clears throat> you know, like like we have like these like superhuman or supernatural ability. They're really just natural. We just haven't utilized them, I don't think, in a long time. So they've kind of yeah. gone dormant, but... Exactly, because if you um, look at human history, I mean, the Tower of Babel is kind of a... I don't want to call it mythical, but it, it sort of is. You know, it's a story about when uh, humans learned language and everything was divided into different languages. That's probably the time that prior to that... We were telepa a telepathic race. You know, telepathy is a natural human ability. And mm -hmm. uh, it's been proven in a laboratory setting. <laughs> so has levitation. Um, psychic abilities are not you know, something that's speculative. This is something that's been proven. And there are many people who have demonstrated this over and over again. You just have to look at, like, Teresa Caputo, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the Long Island medium. It's like, Wow, and you know, dreams that come true. There's yeah. a book by D David Ryback. Mm -hmm. It's probably the best book out there on precognitive dreaming. It's amazing. 
it, it is things amazing. we can do. I, I recently did a, a remote viewing course with um, David Morehouse, and he wrote the, uh, the the handbook for Project Stargate. And um, I was blown away, completely blown away, at how well that technique works. And anybody can do it. It, it, yeah, it blew my yeah. mind. It's fun. I, I remember my sister-in-law, my brother... Uh, and a couple of friends, we all did little remote viewing experiments. It was really cool. You'd write a location in an envelope, mm -hmm. <laughs> and everyone got to you know, pick like five envelopes. We put them in a thing and picked it up, and, and so it's my turn. I'm like, okay, shoot, I'm not getting anything. All I see is just nothing. It's like desolate. It's like just this desolate gray landscape. My brother bursts out laughing. He's like, it's the moon. Preston, it's the moon. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy because you don't even know what, you're, you don't know what you're looking at. It doesn't make sense to you when you're doing it, but then you find out what the target is. You're like, oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't really like guessing games, and, and so I find it a little bit frustrating because mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, how, how does this work? Uh, but I was doing remote viewing with another guy, we were corresponding sort of off the internet and we're you know i set up something and it's like okay well we'll set up a little target and uh he's like did you get any impressions and i'm like well you know i don't know the only thing i can think of is i see a, a lemon or an orange and he laughed and he showed, sent me the picture it was an orange that he had put on his top of his dryer <laughs> he's like you got it exactly I'm like, wow. I forget what I set up, but he got mine as well. So, yeah, that absolutely does work. And this is something anyone can do in a moment's notice. You just kind of have to trust your impressions mm -hmm. and, and try not to interpret it. Yeah, you can't, can't question it. That's the, that's the key. It's just to, to, you know, take whatever comes to you and not yeah. question it. Because once you start questioning it, then you start putting your own input into it. And I think that's when things start to get messed up. Yeah, the whole key is don't try to say, oh, this is, you know, what I think it is. Just say, mm -hmm. well, I see I see a spherical shape. I see an orange color. You know, I see a rough surface. Um, you just want to get to the basics of your mm -hmm. impressions. And apparently th this is how, um, well, you would know better than me. You took the course. <laughs> <laughs> I've read some of the books. but <laughs> Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. Well, but what's also interesting is that the government knows about it. Oh, and is yeah. utilizing it. <laughs> yeah, frustrating yeah. as all. I, I, I wonder I, how much they actually know. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure they know more than we do. Yeah, and it's really upsetting to me because we could be so much farther along, you know, to think that Tesla's inventions have been suppressed along with so many others and that our own, I'll call them secret government, I don't know who to call these guys, because I don't think there are necessarily our actual government. But there's a group of people who are not do not have our best interests in mind. And I think it's the military-industrial complex at the highest levels. I Pretty think much. it's corp corporations. Yeah. The Food and Drug Administration. I don't trust them. Really? I don't. You I'm don't sorry. <laughs> you mean because they're Cheetos pushing drugs. Not, Cheetos, Cheetos are not good for me? <laughs> No, unfortunately, they're not. And there's a, a, a new series of um, television. On, uh, it's called While the Rest of Us Die. And it is eye-opening. 
and really kind of shocking. And it just lays it out in facts about how, you know, religion has been used against us. And these religious leaders who are supposed to be, you know, good Christians are living in mansions and t stealing people's money, period. Thieves. And how the Food and Drug Administration is pushing sugar into everything and chemicals. And, you know, the drug commercials on TV and like that list of side effects may cause anal leakage, may cause involuntary body movements, which may be permanent. Your eyeballs may explode, brain bleeding, <laughs> and like, and may cause serious death. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I sometimes go on for a minute just listing side effects. I always like serious death. I want to have a comical death. And it turns out the U.S. is the only one who's like advertising drugs like in this way. I was shocked to hear that. Hmm. Um, other countries do not do that. But it's right down the line. Though. Like, remember what happened recently in Texas with the energy grid? Mm -hmm. where people, people were freezing to death in their homes. That could have been easily prevented. And the information that came out on that, that's on this show. Hmm. It's, um, um, it's upsetting. It's really upsetting to think that these people who... who don't it's all money they want money control and power and i think we're done i mean people are now waking up to this and this cannot go on it's not sustainable there's enough for everybody there's no reason we can't all come together and love and truth and compassion and and just have a world I mean, honestly a truly moral person doesn't even need government and I agree. And that's why, I, I mean, I don't vote. I consider myself an anarchist. And people think I'm out of my mind. But I'm thinking, my line of thinking is, well, you know, if, if people are forced to depend on their themselves and what they're thinking and what they're feeling, it's going to change everything. And it's not yeah. going to be complete anarchy. I mean, it's going to be, people would have no choice but to look after each other. Yeah, I was so naive when I was a kid. I thought I, nobody lied. Everyone told the truth and we all loved each other. I think my real wake-up call, I must have, I don't know, it was, must have been seven or eight. Mm -hmm. We're driving along and we came upon a speed bump in, in the road. And, I, and we had to slow down the car and go over it. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, why is there a bump in the middle of the road? And they're like, oh, that's a speed bump. I'm like, what, what is that for? And that's to stop people from speeding. I'm like, but why would you even need that? Does it, I mean, the sign says don't speed. And I said, well, no, people speed. And it causes accidents. I'm like, but why would people speed if it causes accidents? And I'm like, because they're not following the rules. I'm like, well, why would people not follow rules? You know, and they're like, this is why we have speed bumps. I'm like, you telling me we have to put a barrier in the road to stop someone from doing something they already should know how to do. <laughs> that was just absolutely mind-blowing to me. So I, whenever I see a speed bump, I think of them as morality bumps or stupidity bumps. Uh -huh. Because this is something for people who are so darn immoral that we need to put barriers on the road to slow you down there should not we should not have a need for speed bumps and i can tell you for sure that well i can't tell you for sure but from the contactees that i've interviewed 
ETs do not have a government. <laughs> they do not have money. Their society is structured in a way that's completely based on telepathy and cooperation and interaction and helping each other. Um, there are, is no such thing as unequal distribution of wealth or cl class structure or federalized governmental system. Everyone works for the good of everyone else. And you can get, study whatever field of study you want to study. This is what's, why it's so refreshing to talk to people like Dolly. And because uh, I'd only get bits and pieces of this from other people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, pretty much, I don't want to say everything, but 90% of everything she's told me, I'm like, yep, I've heard this before, but piecemeal. And so it's really cool to hear her say it in a continuous narrative and sort of verify all these things I've been like circling around trying, trying to find the truth of. Um, so, because I've always wondered about government. I'm like, well, it's, from what I can tell, it's like ETs sort of work in family groups, like almost tribal groups. And if you study Earth society, the happiest people on Earth are like the people in, it was the Netherlands or Holland or who live in these large extended family groups. Mm -hmm. where they're all, all cooperative. They all work together in sort of this homesteading way to, uh, you know, in the Native American culture was very much like that. Yeah. Uh, where people just worked together for the good of the community. And uh, I, I think that's what we need to work, strive towards. Uh, Sweden, I, there's a, a picture on, of, you know, Sweden I just saw where they all have, you know, it's, it was the suburb and every single house had a huge garden plot behind it. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. I always encourage people to garden. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something that comes up in a lot of contactee accounts as well. Um, you know, the importance of self-sustaining and being in a community and understanding your fellow human beings because we're all one. This is something contactees will say over and over again. We are all one. And it becomes more and more clear the deeper you dive into these subjects. You're getting me all excited. <laughs> now I can't wait for this book. <laughs> I can't wait to, to read Dolly's story. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to um, have a really interesting reaction. I know there's going to be some kickback to it. People are going to be, be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, you know, there's also this negative element within our society, the disinformation artists. Mm -hmm. You can see them on Facebook. Yes, I, um, I know plenty of them. <laughs> there are, I think, some professional disinformation artists out there. I think there are probably some AI operatives. By that, I mean little computer programs set mm -hmm. up by what I, you know, I'm purely speculating here, but just looking at it and seeing some of these posts that go out, which are putting forth an alien threat <laughs> narrative. Mm-hmm. And some of these UFO researchers, I really question. And uh, I mean, we know some of them were definitely offered. Donald Menzel, uh, Stanton Friedman, laid it out in black and white. This guy worked for the government, knew UFOs were real, and debunked them vigorously, ruthlessly, for years. Philip Klass, <laughs> he knew UFOs were real. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I suspect that some of these guys who are out there now are doing the same thing because you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and all the CGI crap. I'll just put it up, lay it out. We know this is not real. Why are you doing this? You're hoaxing. Mm-hmm. You're muddying the waters. Why would you even do that? I think some are just doing it for fun because you can, and it's easy, and it's kind of cool to make a little UFO video. Um, yeah, I can see how that would be fun, but to put it forth as real? No. That's not right. That's no. immoral. We really need to start teaching morality in schools and meditation and, and psychic development. That should be a central focus and more science. You know, this school, we, we could do a lot better with the way we we're teaching our children. I, I agree. And one of the things, um, too, is, I mean, the more you dig into science, the closer you're going to get to spirituality. And the more you dig into spirituality, the closer you're going to get to science. Yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, Einstein was very spiritual. Yeah. And you the, can't really separate the two. One's going to lead you to the other. No matter yeah. what route you take with either path. Yeah, and Tesla was incredibly spiritual. Boy, I read a, a biography of his life. Mm-hmm. What an interesting guy. He could have this eidetic memory. He could visualize his blueprints in full living 3D color. He was absolutely convinced as a child that he could levitate. <laughs> I don't know if he ever yeah. did, but a really interesting man. One of the other ones, too, is uh, the guy who came up with Ohm's Law. You know the law of electricity. You know, you know he he his whole law that wasn't supposed to be just for electricity. It was supposed to be meant for all things, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, you know the, the law of resistance. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. One, one of the I was really that's kind of my foundation with science because uh, I came into this field skeptical, skeptical, and I just loved science. I'm like, wow, here's an actual pathway to true knowledge, verifiable, testable. <laughs> this is something you can actually, you know, trust. Because there's so much, so many lies, so much speculation, so many people have these belief systems. I'm like, why do you believe this? Oh, well, I read it. Because so, no, no. the Bible tells me so. I'm like, well, the Bible, it's got a lot of truth in it. It really does. But there's no reason we can't question everything. And I think it behooves every individual on earth to work towards knowledge and truth and enlightenment and self-improvement and uh, really becoming a fully realized human being. And I'm so glad I discovered like spirituality and UFOs and out-of-body experiences because it sort of led me to the truth of what I think religion is. And I finally got a hold of this multi-volume set, Butler's Lives of the Saints, which is sort of the go-to guide for uh, the his- history of saints. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is like several thousand pages of tiny little writing, <laughs> both sides. <laughs> it will take you a couple of months to read this, even if you're a speed reader. But it was so refreshing, because back in the day, you know, these monks and nuns and priests were amazing people and were very loving took vows of poverty and were absolutely like mediums the mediums we see today Mm -hmm. and people talk about oh no you can't do mediumship that's of the devil 
I'm like, well, hold on a second. Let's talk about St. Gerard of Magella or St. Francis of Assisi or, you know, all these St. Teresa's of Avila who would levitate and have out-of-body experiences and give spiritual advice and read people's minds. It's not of the devil. It's, we are all of God, of the source. To me, God is sort of the entire universe. Mm-hmm. It's us. Me too. It's everything. And uh, I think we really need to sort of throw away our fear. And uh, there's a, I have a real issue with people calling UFOs demonic. I have and, a tough time with that too. And I have actually but, started turning people away that want to be on here to talk about that particular subject. I'll debate them. Cause it, unless, it's, unless, it's, unless it's set up by a publicist that I work with that has sent me other guests that I'll... I'll do it, but <laughs> yeah, but I never my, my, feel really comfortable with it. Yeah, because I, I studied it because you know I'm interested, and I can tell you, yeah, there are bad spirits out there, and there is a negative force for sure. But when someone says all aliens are demonic, my first uh, response is, "By their fruits you shall know them." It's a very famous bi- biblical phrase, and mm-hmm. demonic spirits have a goal, and that is to wreak havoc. They want to cause damage. They want to destroy. They want to ground you down. (laughs) And that's not what we're seeing with ETs. People come away from their experiences, yeah, sometimes with nightmares and PTSD and a lot of fear. But as a rule, people, and this is true for people who even, you know, have fear problems and come away incredibly spiritually enlightened with the ability to heal with a whole new outlook on on life they are extreme environmentalists they are the most loving people you will ever meet they are good people yeah and so what we're seeing is not people whose lives are destroyed but in fact really helped healed Mm -hmm. physically healed mentally healed and another thing i will say was like people say all ets are demonic right I'd say, well, let's wait a second here. Okay, maybe there are fallen angels. But how many fallen angels are there compared to the angels who didn't fall? You know, maybe some have fallen, but probably most not. And if there are fallen angels, yeah, maybe some are coming here and are doing up to no good. But wouldn't it make sense that most of them have not fallen (laughs) and are working hard to do good? I mean, it's mm-hmm. a wide universe out there. So if you're going to call ETs demonic, you have to call them angelic as well. You, there's no getting around this. Right. Um, seriously, because there is a wide, wide universe. I'm totally serious about this. You cannot say every ET out there, only us, only humans are angelic. <laughs> I'm like, mm, we're not so angelic. I mean, let's... Let's be honest here. Humans have a real problem with killing each other and prejudice and pollution. And this is what the ETs are trying to teach us. Um, I think ETs are much more... And I surveyed the literature for this. I got, you know, I typed... You can do word search... uh, Word searches on these UFO databases. I'm like, let's word search for demonic and angelic. And uh, I did a study of everything I could find 
and uh, like people say, oh, you just pray to Jesus and that will stop your abduction. Yeah, I did find a few cases, but I found way more cases where people felt that this was angelic by like 10 to 1 or mm-hmm. more. Honestly, I, could, I found like three or four cases of that where people like banished on ETs using the name of Jesus. And honestly, if someone, you know, if you were with someone and trying to help them and they were just raving at you, by the, go away, go away, go away, go away, by the name of Jesus, go away. But fine, I'm going to go away. <laughs> You're not ready. You're having a very strong fear reaction. I don't want to hurt you. Um, you're obviously not ready, and they would leave. I'm not so sure it's the name of Jesus that's doing it. It's the ETs thing. Okay, we need to be careful around this one. They're not quite ready. Right? Yeah, they see like, well, we're just, this person's we're just going to do more damage to than help, so we'll leave them alone. Yep. Um, what I have found, like, if people really don't want to be involved in this, you know, UFO encounter experience. If they just say, no, no, I do not allow this. I do not want this experience. Go away. You do not have the right. I do not give permission. And that will stop the experience. I've got many more cases of that where, pe- where people like react really hostily. And they're like, no, go away. And that works. Um, not always. Sometimes eventually the, the ETs will come back and the person at that point, you know, kind of, sees the light and realizes this person is not here to hurt me. Mm-hmm. I think it's significant to recognize that the first thing ETs always say, and I keep repeating this because it bears repeating, the first words out of an ET's mouth or their minds <laughs> is, don't be afraid, have no fear. We are not here to hurt you. We mean no harm. And this is absolutely universal. It's the most common thing I hear. And it's not something a, a demon would say. Hmm. You know, they don't say that at all. <laughs> they do things to try to scare you. Um, and I've investigated demonic hauntings firsthand. Talked to people who've had really bad experiences with bad ghosts. It's scary as hell. <laughs> it's really unpleasant. And uh, it's a separate phenomena. And I think this is another pattern I'm seeing from, I think, some of the people who are disinformation artists are trying to lump all of this together. Like, this is not ETs. This is an intelligence that wears different masks. And if you think you're seeing Bigfoot or a demon or a UFO or a ghost or even a near-death near experience, it's all the same thing. I'm like, what? No. A near-death experience is completely separate. It has some really remarkable similarities in ways. But if, I love the near-death literature. I've interviewed a lot of people. And people generally do not get physically examined during a near-death experience mm-hmm. by greys. It just doesn't happen. And uh, people who are taken on board a UFO do not see their deceased relatives Almost ever. But it, it, there are a few believe-through cases. Because ETs are very spiritual, and they can lead you to the other side and give you elements of a near-death experience. And this is where, where there starts to be a little bit of confusion. Because these experiences overlap a little bit. Uh, but they're separate experiences. 
The vast majority of people who see Bigfoot don't see a UFO. The vast majority of people who have a near-death experience don't see aliens. You know, all of this stuff is are separate phenomena. You're seeing a ghost. That's what it is. It is a ghost. It's mm -hmm. not a demon. Are you crazy? Look at the literature of you know, read Butler's Lives of the Saints. Do your research. Don't go basing your beliefs on your fears. It's really important that people do the work and look at themselves and what they believe and why they believe it. Because what, what happened to me, you know, as a young man, my belief system was destroyed, completely shattered by, by finding out UFOs were real. And uh, I was trying to rebuild it when, boom, I started having out-of-body experiences. And that shattered my belief system again. <laughs> and I haven't even really been able to rebuild a belief system. Now I just like try to build a knowledge system. Mm -hmm. This is what I know. And it's not a lot. You know, and it's difficult at times. And I don't like when people call me a UFO believer. Yeah, I believe in UFOs. I'm not going to deny it. But I know. I know they're real. I've seen them. And I know that there's life after death because I've gone out of body and you can do it too. Yeah. Don't don't believe me, please. I beg you, don't. I would much rather you do the exercises and try it. If you want to, don't believe in UFOs. Know it. Go out there and call one down. It's not hard. I know people who've done CE5 work for the first time and saw a UFO on the first time they tried it. Happened to me. First time I went out there, actually doing deliberate CE5 work. Mm -hmm. We saw a UFO on the same first night with Stephen Greer. He came to LA, formed a CE5 group, did his lecture, went out that night. This, oh, it was shocking. There was 50 of us there. And, and someone shouts, look! And I look up, and there's this giant blob of light. It was way the heck up there, but almost as big as a half moon. And, I mean, you know what a satellite looks like. It's mm -hmm. a little circle of light moving across the sky. This was the size of about 30 stars put together. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a big blob of light, irregular shaped. So I'm looking at it, thinking, well, it's not ball lightning. It's not a satellite. Definitely not a balloon. Clearly not a plane or a helicopter. I mean, there's no, I mean, what the heck is that? And that was just, you know, it was just a few moments, but all of us saw it. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. my God. That was the first night, first attempt. Yeah, I've tried it. I've gotten results. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, you don't need to believe anything. You, need, you can know it. I think that's what really people should start doing. This is, you know, meditate. And if you want to have you know, out-of-body experiences, you can. If you want to see a UFO, you can. If you want to have telepathy and precognition and clairvoyance and levitation and healing you can and it's all based on just awareness and consciousness and love and uh, i think it's awesome and you start to realize how truly connected we are you become really empathetic and you're like oh my god <laughs> People are very much that way anyway. That is our natural state. And you can see it if someone trips. Everyone runs towards them to help them up. You know? And everyone, you know, even people we would consider criminals 
of thieves have their, their posse, their group, that they help and love and support. You know, this is why gang culture became a thing in our culture, is because of the dissolution of the American family. Um, we were being pulled apart by governmental institutions. And families were falling apart. Divorce was skyrocketing. And people needed to find a way to come together to support each other. And uh, they will guard you with their lives. You see this with people who go to the military. You know, a band of brothers type of thing. They will do anything. They will step in front of a bullet. This is something we need to sort of foster among everybody in all cultures, all races, religions. And I think we're beginning to see that. It's a real movement towards human rights and animal rights, environmentalism, and you know, getting rid of this unequal distribution of wealth. It's ridiculous. You've got me standing on my <laughs> soapbox here. Oh. <laughs> You're getting me all excited, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's all true. It, it definitely, uh, you know, you and I definitely think the same about all that stuff. So that's cool. I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, no, I think I'm, I'm pretty encouraged because a, a lot of the TV shows are now pushing towards that. Uh, you know, we see lots of those home improvement shows, which are very loving shows. And, you know, a lot of the stuff on TV I'm really encouraged by mm -hmm. uh, uh, because it is very love-based and very knowledge-based and exploring and uh, it's, it's nice i think we're going to be just fine people i think most people on earth are really good people i really do and i don't think there's any real difference between people who live in china or russia or korea or us or anywhere in the world we are all families we're all individuals we're all people who live in these little towns and cities we all just want to feed our families and play music and eat good food and you know just have fun and learn yeah and yeah that everybody wants the same thing and here we are struggling for survival you know people have to work all damn day for someone else to earn enough money just to put a roof over their head their entire salary goes towards just food and housing. That's not how we're supposed to live. Mm -mm. It really isn't. And to see people collecting multi-billions of dollars is upsetting. And uh, the whole opiate crisis that was on that latest episode of While the Rest of Us Die, <laughs> the Sackler family who were sued and agreed to pay you know, some billion dollars in damages for what they knowingly did, um, immediately pulled billions of dollars out of their company and put it in secret trust. How many billions of dollars do you need? For Pete's sake, it's ridiculous. Who needs a billion dollars? <clears throat> what are you going to do with it? I'm, oh. I'm pretty good with like a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, studies have shown if you have enough money to, for food, clothing, and uh, housing and entertainment, you're fine. And if you start getting excesses of millions, your happiness quotient actually starts to drop, <laughs> which is really interesting to me. Mm. Uh, because I think, yeah, money problems is the number one issue 
among people here on earth and it causes all kinds of unhappiness because the fact is we don't have enough for people to even feed themselves and it's shocking i remember when this whole pandemic hit and there's people in line for food because they were having food shortages i'm like well look at your car here's a person who has this expensive car which i'm sure is not paid for they're wearing expensive clothes Mm -hmm. They've got their cell phone and their, their designer water, and they're in line for food. Something is off balance here. You know, we've been trained, like, we need all this stuff. That's not what the Beatles sang about. It wasn't all you need is stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's all you need is love. It's true. And it's, it's so true. And this is what, and I've said this before, I probably said this on this show, Betty Andreessen. Her, her gray, Kwaska, said, love is the answer for humankind. It's another thing I love to tell people who say grays are demonic. I'm like, wait, here's what a gray said. <laughs> love is the answer. Does that sound like a demon? Do demons actually heal people? Physically heal them? Would a demon prevent a gentleman from committing suicide? No. But that's what a gray did to a gentleman. who had a gun ready. A gray appeared and voided. The suicide is how we put it. And it's not the only case I have of people who are mentally helped as a result of a UFO encounter, lifted from depression. So people, we need to reevaluate what's going on here and recognize that there are opposing forces here. Yeah. But I'm encouraged, you know, because people think, oh, the one percenters are in charge, they've got all this money. No, they're not in charge. They think they're in charge, but they're not. The biggest, strongest, most powerful force, in my opinion, on this planet is you, me, everyone. It's the public. It's humanity. We are a completely cohesive, telepathic species. We are one. And you can see this when an idea just kind of sweeps through culture and becomes universal. And when an idea's time has come, nothing can stop it. We are the force. And if everyone rises up and comes together, nothing can stop us. We are the one who run our planet. It's our own fault that we have allowed governments to become corrupt. And what we need is, I was thinking about this the other day, wouldn't it be great if we could form a country that has no government? Like, let's just come here and work together. It's got to be a country that says, as a revolution, <laughs> well, says, no more government. You know, we're just. I, I, I was talking to, he's an occultist. Um, his name is um, John Michael Greer. And he's really anti government, too. And I was telling him that I was thinking about running for president under this idea that the, the first day as president, I'm going to fire everybody in the government. And then the second day as president, I'm going to fire myself. <laughs> exactly exactly i mean and then, i know that the people do what they want this sounds idealistic but i don't think it really is i think this is something we could easily do with our information grid i mean it's the information age and we can easily communicate to each other across long distances we can come together and uh, there's no reason that we can't all just work together you see this in farming communities you know smaller town where people like a tornado hits and everyone comes together to rebuild someone's house. It's really cool. 
there's really good work being done all over the world right now. Yeah. And it doesn't get front page news. What gets front page news is the mass shooting. Is you know, the race riot. <laughs> is the corruption. You know, it's just, news is very, very negative. Yeah. yeah. And I get it. We want to be informed about what's going on. But I think it's really important that you know, like attracts like. You get what you focus on. We really need to start thinking more positively and focusing on what we want and not what we're afraid of. That's absolutely true. And with that, I think this is a good place to stop. (laughs) 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 On that positive note. Um, But before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you and find your books? Yeah, thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. I do have a website, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. Just punch in my name. It should take you there. My books are on Amazon, Barnes and well, any online retailer. You can go to my website and read excerpts and stuff. And I have a YouTube channel. Trying to put all my research awesome. there. <laughs> <laughs> Having lots of fun with that. It's doing really well. And uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, of course. And yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty happy to see how things are moving along. We're getting. Th- Steps towards disclosure. Yeah, we're getting there. And, uh, and uh, more and more contactees are stepping out and telling their story. It's yeah. pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on. And hang on for one moment while I play my outro.